welcome to the show. This is episode number 61 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about The Rock chink, on your- Chink, 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 Well, gee whiz, podcast. <laughs> I'm Mandy Kay. I think there was some noise on the line. Do you want to try that again? <laughs> okay, do you want me to redo the whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 61 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about The Rock on chick, your chick, 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 well, chick, chick. podcast. This, is there something I mean, there? There's, there's some noise coming through. <laughs> do you just want to do the intro? No, just try once more, because there's something making noise somewhere. Uh-huh. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 61 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about The Rock on your... Chick, 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 I want to rock! I want to rock! I hope there's like four people out there who just listening to this went, Rock! Or Squad! If you are listening to this episode and you went rock or squad at me, I want you to take a photo. I want you to take a photo, go on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, tag Eloquent Gushing, tag me, tag the hashtag, whatever you need. Uh, and le- I want to see a selfie of people going rock or squad. In fact, I don't care if you went rock or squad. If you're listening right now to this episode, take a photo. If you are walking, commuting on a train, on in a car, pull over and take a photo. If you're at work, if you are in the middle of surgery, whatever you're doing, I want to see a photo of people listening to this episode. Well, I think that sounds like a good idea, and it sounds pretty fun. Yeah. We're going to have, hopefully, have like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of just these random selfies coming in. (laughs) That would be pretty amazing. Yes. And I'm Matthew Vose. So this is an interesting episode of Pop Culturally Deprived because uh, this is a movie that I have actually seen, but Matthew, you have never seen The Rock before. And we decided to do a fun little thing in the month of March because one year ago in March, Matthew and I decided that we wanted to do more than just Pop Culturally Deprived. And our media company, Eloquent Gushing, was born. And so this is the one-year anniversary of Eloquent Gushing, and so we decided to do something a little bit fun and have all of the movies that we do this month be reverse movies, movies that I have seen and that I enjoy and that Matthew or our guest has never seen. So I think this is going to be really fun. What do you think, Matthew? Yeah, Eloquent Gushing. Ooh. Oh, I completely (laughs) forgot that you did that. Available on yes. iTunes, wherever you get your music. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matthew, why have you never seen The Rock? Because this is, you know, I mean, it's not like a seminal classic or anything, but it's, it's a pretty good movie. I don't know. Like, I've seen a lot of films like this, and it just seemed like, oh, it's another big action film, but not a great one. Okay. So I've just never bothered watching it or it has never been on when so like someone's put on a film like this okay that's fair hmm. sounds very similar to many of my reasons for not watching things <laughs> are you just stealing my answers matthew yes clearly <laughs> <laughs> all right well released in june of 1996 the rock is an american action thriller directed by michael bay it stars nicholas cage sean connery and ed harris The screenplay is credited to David Weisberg and Douglas S. Cook, but Jonathan Hensley, Aaron Sorkin, and Quentin Tarantino were all uncredited screenwriters. The film was a smash hit, grossing over $335 million worldwide with a budget of only $75 million. Roger Ebert gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars, calling it a first-rate slam-bang action thriller with a lot of style and no little humor. A slam-bang action thriller. (laughs) What is a slam-bang action thriller? (laughs) The Rock, apparently. What an expression. (laughs) (laughs) And Time Magazine's Richard Corliss said that this was the team spirit action movie that Mission Impossible should have been. It was also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Sound. 
And then in 2001, it was selected for a limited edition DVD release by the Criterion Collection, which chooses films that it categorizes as important classic and contemporary films and cinema at its finest. And then just a brief fun fact, Arnold Schwarzenegger actually turned down the role of Stanley Goodspeed, which I think is good. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't imagine him in that role. I think you're trying to be sneaky here. Hey, Matthew, look at all these people who loved it. This is a critically acclaimed film that everyone loves. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) You think you're subtle, Mandy, but... (laughs) Oh, no, I don't think I'm subtle at all, because wait until we start going into what our listeners think about this movie. (laughs) All I'm going to say is I'm not the only one who enjoys a little Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. Okay. So, Matthew, why don't you tell everybody what you wrote for the synopsis of this movie, and then I will tell people what this movie is actually about. This this film is uh, the San Francisco Tourist Board wanting to make some of their sites more popular, and then asking Brockheimer and Sim- Simpson to make an action film that includes the San Francisco Hills, the trolley, Alcatraz, and various things seem like a really good place to visit, and more exciting for everyone. Um, and Sean Connery is also there. That's not cynical at all. Okay. (laughs) So, folks, I I don't know that Matthew is wrong, but that's not what the movie is about. Maybe that's why the movie got made. But the movie itself is about a mild-mannered chemist and an ex-con who must lead the counterstrike when a rogue group of military men, led by a renegade general, threaten a nerve gas attack from Alcatraz against San Francisco. Mm. Yeah. So mm. Matthew, how did you how did you watch The Rock? Uh I had to rent it on Amazon. I have always assumed this film is just available everywhere. It turns out it's available nowhere. That is correct. It is mm. also only available to rent on Amazon in the States. Mm. I was very surprised by that. So Matthew, going into this, what were your expectations for the material? That's a really terrible way for me to ask that question. That's just what you have written on there. <laughs> Matthew, going into this, what were your expectations? Did you think you would like it? Did you think you would hate it? I thought it was going to be an action caper, um, a kind of buddy movie thing going on that was going to be about getting into and getting around Alcatraz, getting onto the island and then sneaking into the um, into the installation. That they would have to beat the bad guys against overwhelming wad- uh, against overwhelming odds. I thought I was going to like it, but I would have probably, you know, a seven out of ten, maybe an eight out of ten if the dialogue had been sharp, something like that. That that was my that my smart. prediction. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, why, before we get into whether or not you actually enjoyed it, <laughs> I think everybody already knows the answer to that. Um, what's your experience of you know Michael Bay, Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, Ed Harris, and of course the beloved John Spencer? Uh, Michael Bay, I was with up until the Transformers films. Um, I, I love Bad Boys. I can't really remember Armageddon. I love Bad Boys 2. I've not seen Pearl Harbor. Uh, The Island, I think, is a fantastic action sci-fi film. It's possibly the remake of Logan's Run I'm ever going to get, so I love it even more for that. Um, And then the Transformers films happen, and I stop watching anything he touches. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's actually about where I tapped out on Michael Bay, too. Mm. Sean Connery, obviously I know him as Bond. And and uh, random films that he's done over the years, things like uh, Zulu, and he did a Robin Hood film that isn't called Robin Hood, it's like Robin and Marion or something. Um, but obviously mm-hmm. particularly aware of his kind of later years, the, the point at which he's not James Bond anymore, he is always uh, kind of stunt casting, so... The Untouchables, Indiana Jones, Highlander, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves... Dragonheart, he's the villain in the Avengers, um, and then finishing up with Entrapment and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is two hours of my life I'm never getting back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like, I quite like him when he's allowed to be himself a bit, but he's not a dominating force in the film, I think. Yeah, when I think of Sean Connery, I think of The Rock, honestly, and and then the kind of character that he played in this movie. Okay. um, Which is is kind of Bond-esque a little bit, just like if if Bond had ever been captured and thrown in a hole. Okay. Um, Have you seen much Bond? Uh, No, the only Bond movie I've ever seen is Casino Royale. (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. That would explain why you just said that about his character. (laughs) You know. 
Um, no, no. I'm familiar <laughs> with James Bond. I don't have to watch it to be familiar with it. Uh, Nicolas Cage. I've seen his sort of bigger early movies. Uh, the two mm-hmm. Las Vegas films. Uh, obviously, Con Air and Face Off and City of Angels. I love him in Snake Eyes and Gone in 60 Seconds is one of my favorite car movies. Uh, I've not seen too much that he's done certainly recently, pretty much up until Ghost Rider and the National Secret, no, National Treasure films. Okay. Which are pretty solid films. Uh, who else was on the list? Ed Harris. Ed Harris to me is the dude from Apollo 13. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the first thing I saw him in, but that's the thing I always think of when I see him. Um, other than that, I don't think much. Maybe the National National Treasure film. I think he's in one or two of them as well. I I haven't seen much of him. Definitely, I've seen Glenn Gary Glenvoss. That's that's the one that th- there's a whole raft of actors that that's the film they were in together. Hmm, okay. And, and John Spencer is the only person whose character name from this film I can remember because he's Leo McGarry. He's Leo McGarry in this. He's Leo McGarry in everything he does. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. <laughs> that was actually one of my notes when I was writing this. Like, does John Spencer ever play any character not like Leo McGarry? <laughs> yeah. And, and he <laughs> is basically exactly Leo. exactly yeah. who this was, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, so what's your experience of other movies similar to this? I know you already mentioned Con Air, um, but there are some other kind of big action movies that don't really do a lot other than have good guys and bad guys and blowing stuff up like speed and and face off and and things like that so this is a genre that i expect you to be familiar with yeah this is possibly the only film in that genre i've not seen um okay uh, the the action i don't think carries me through it's the uh relationships and dialogue that always does it for me so that's why like i love bad boys because that relationship is so good and the, the sort of banter and humor of it is so good so I've seen, I have seen a lot of them, generally enjoy them as well. Okay. So Matthew, did you enjoy The Rock? No. <laughs> no, I did not. This is not a good film. This is not even good in a, like, it's a bad film, but it's fun. No. <laughs> well, I think you gave it, what, 3.5 out of 10? No, no, not even that, 3. It was just a 3. I swear yeah. I thought it was 3.5. No. 3 out of 10, okay. Uh, technically, it's 1.5 out of 5. But I figured for, for people who like The Rock, I might need to make the numbers simpler, you know. <laughs> I came so close oh. to tweeting that at people who were having a go at me. I'm like, no, no, save your words. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, before we get into the things that you didn't like about this movie, I wanted to ask how familiar you are with Alcatraz itself. Is, is Alcatraz well known outside of the United States? In general, I, I couldn't answer that. I don't know in general. Um, in the UK, yes, it's very well known. Uh, certainly this film doesn't help as a, a tourist board advertisement for San Francisco. Um, <laughs> and other other things, the is it the Clint Eastwood thing, Escape from Alcatraz? Um, and I think it's generally referenced as a sort of cultural point. I, I've, okay. been, I've been to Alcatraz, so mm-hmm. I know it. Okay. Hey, Mandy. Hey, Matthew. <laughs> what magazine did geologists like to read? I don't know, Matthew. What magazine do geologists like to read? Quartz Illustrated. <laughs> Can I just make rock jokes for like 45 minutes? <laughs> no. No, you cannot. <laughs> Although, you know what I will say, though? <sighs> Trying to look up stuff about this movie is incredibly difficult whenever one of the top actors in the world right now goes by The Rock. Even when you Google The Rock movie, you get Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, do you want to know what could have gone very wrong? Was was me uh, asking my Amazon Echo, hey Alexa, how long is The Rock? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we actually get started in earnest on talking about your thoughts on this movie, I have a question for you. Hmm. So the premise of this movie is essentially that, that we've got this... General Ed Harris plays General Hummel, and he decides that he needs to fight back against the government because he feels the government has treated its soldiers very, very unfairly by asking them essentially to do illegal things. And then when they die, 
serving their country, the United States essentially throws them away. They don't get proper burials. Their families don't really know what happened to them. Their families don't get the the appropriate benefits that normally they would get if a soldier died in combat. And, and so he just is angry and he wants to raise awareness about it and he wants to do something about it, which is what prompts him to stage this coup on Alcatraz Island. What do you think about that? Do you think he's right? Do you think that he has a valid reason? Do you think he's just being stupid and shady and mean? What do you think about that? I am not sure I believe the the premise of that. Yes, I can understand the the disavowing knowledge and, and not necessarily getting the funeral or the recognition they might get. But in terms of families not getting looked after, I don't know I believe that's the way it's done. Oh, I absolutely believe that's the way that's done, but maybe that's because I watch too much TV. <laughs> and, and this might be, well, no, this likely is a cultural thing, but I, I would imagine if someone um, had family but was being put into dangerous situations, there would be provision for what would happen. I mean, I mean, you know, I work in an office and I have a life assurance thing through my work. <laughs> if I passed away, the, the mortgage would be taken care of. Sure, of course, but but this is different because this is the military asking people to do things that the military should not be asking people to do. That's the point. And so the military can't come out and say, oh, they died doing illegal things for me, and so they just pretend like nothing happened. That's the point that, yeah, that I, Hummel is making here. And, and whether that happens in real life or not, which I do believe it does, it does happen in the universe of this movie. Okay, uh, so is he right to do that in the universe of this movie? I don't think he's right to go as far as he is here. I, I can see there's a whole point of him. It opens with him being very noble and talking to his wife's grave. And he's been trying and he needs to make them understand. But this is not the way. Okay. Yeah, I, I fundamentally do not believe this is the way. Okay. Did you did you think he was bluffing? Were you surprised at the end when you realized that, that he specifically was bluffing because he believed that they would give in to his demands and he really did not want to kill anybody? No, because he'd been coded to not necessarily be a bad guy. The other ones, okay. the Dr. Cox from Scrubs and Tony Todd and people, they were all coded to be kind of bad guys. Um, right. But he was, you know, a married man who loves his wife and still visits her and he's doing the the right, the wrong thing, but for what he thinks are the right reasons. And that even that point after that where he gets shot, they they try to rescue him a bit with his you know my god what have i done realizing right. he went too far now i know you usually pay attention to cinematography and the visuals of a movie did you happen to pay attention to the music in this movie at all because i, I want to know if i'm crazy or if you picked up on some of the same things i did uh i didn't notice it i'm afraid other than being okay. typical michael bay sort of music okay there were two places in the movie um, in the beginning, in the chase scene where um, Sean Connery's Mason escapes the hotel and Nicolas Cage is chasing him in the Ferrari, the music was very, very... <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> and Nicolas Cage is chasing him in a Ferrari. Because <laughs> oh, that's what the FBI does. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they do if it's Nicolas Cage. Clearly. The mild-mannered chemical dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, anyway, the music in that chase scene was very reminiscent to the the fight scene themes in Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um, it just had similar notes and, and, and sounds and the, the staccato-ness of the music was very, very similar. And it, it stuck out to me immediately, which I thought was interesting because this movie came out before Pirates did. And then at the end... Um, when Mason is pulling Stanley out of the water, um, to, to save him, that, that music was very reminiscent of the Lord of the Rings theme. Not exactly, but it, it was, it was just very similar to me. And it was just weird because to me, Lord of the Rings and Pirates of the Caribbean are both these like big epic things with these grand scores. And then you've got The Rock. <laughs> which is a fighty which fighty kick, kick, shoot him up, bang yeah. bang movie, and, and and so it was just it was interesting. And then I realized that that Hans Zimmer did yeah. part of the score for for The Rock, and I think that probably explains why you get some of that grand scale feeling from the music. Mm -hmm. 
but I liked it. Hmm. But apparently I'm the only one who noticed it, so... Yeah, I can I can definitely see the Pirates comparison because it's Hans Zimmer. Um, it, in the same way, you can tell this is Michael Bay because there are certain shots he uses that are identical to the right. exact same shot and other things. The, the post-shootout, post-action scene, someone standing up with the sun behind them thing, the Dutch angles when it's all getting very intense. There's a few things he does in every film. Creative people okay. using their creative work in multiple places. Well, if it works, don't fix it, right? Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I could do without okay. the same shot in every film. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so will you please tell me what it was about this movie that you really didn't like? Because I honestly really thought you would like it. And so I'm surprised that your reaction is so strongly negative. There's a little problem with me being strongly negative because everyone's so shocked that I didn't enjoy it, and I'm fighting so hard. You're just leaning into well, it. Well, yeah, I'm fighting hard against my natural instinct to be like, "Well, it's terrible," and I'll tell you all the reasons why it's terrible. Like there, there are, this is not a one out of ten. <laughs> you know, this is there were some things that got me through it, but by and large, um, that I, I felt the film was lacking in a number of different areas, particularly. Like we're an hour in before we start getting to dealing with Alcatraz. And I think that I, I had an expectation. The fact that it's called The Rock, the fact that the point of it is they take over Alcatraz. But actually Alcatraz doesn't play a part in this film. It, it could be a military installation anywhere. It could be Alameda. Um, it could be Arkham Asylum, frankly. <laughs> this could be any quasi-abandoned place that's been taken over that's near a city, which most of them are. And I think I was expecting there to be more about it that was using the unique nature of Alcatraz. But I don't feel like we got particularly anything except for the fact it's an island, which again, okay. it could just be on a coast. Well, well, I feel like they did a little bit just because the reason that Sean Connery's character exists is because he is the only living person who ever actually escaped from Alcatraz in the world of this movie. And yeah. so they needed him... <laughs> to get them onto the island unseen and get through all of the, I don't know, se not security, but just the different obstacles and, and mazes of, of Alcatraz, um, which obviously is, it's a plot point and they could have done something differently if they had done it somewhere else, like you suggested. It just, it would have made the need of Sean Connery's character to be obsolete and they would have had to do something else. I mean, I mean that need is there wherever it is. It can still be a prison on an island. Um, it can still be a prison on a coast. It could still be, like I say, any insulation that he is familiar with. But even that annoys me a bit because there is part of the tour where they talk about these three guys who managed to escape from uh, Alcatraz. Yeah. And and uh, they assume they died on the way back. But then there's even been stuff released recently about how they were actually alive and they wrote to the FBI and all of this. So. Mm -hmm. Why not make him one of those dudes <laughs> and be like, oh, we covered up. We actually caught him, but we couldn't let anyone know that it was escapable. So that's why we... I, I just didn't understand why they created this fiction when the fiction was already there. And then they don't use anything of, of the fact it's Alcatraz. They don't use, oh, some showdown in the yard where everyone worked out some sort of uh, joke about Al Capone, something about having to go up the ramps all the way up to it or something. Just, it was all new sets inside that meant largely nothing. Okay. So there's there's that. I, I expected a lot more of it to be, okay, this is kind of cool. There's a bit of a history lesson here. There's there's some interesting things about the prison itself. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think my problem really comes from the fact this film takes itself really seriously in every way. And if you look at Michael Bay, so Michael Bay did Bad Boys, he did this, he did Armageddon. Armageddon does not take itself seriously at all. I mean, it utterly does take itself seriously. It's not a comedy. It's not doing jokes about things. But, you know, oh, my God, there's an asteroid coming to Earth and we need these oil miners to come and save us. <laughs> these oil rig mm -hmm. men to come and save us from this asteroid. It's, and then they need to go to Mir and Mir ends up being blown up. And it, it is just ridiculous in every level. So you don't have to take it seriously. And you can enjoy it for the big blown action thing that it is. Bad Boys takes itself seriously, but it's doing... A smaller, lower key thing than this. It's doing. Uh, you've not seen Bad Boys, have you? I have not. Okay, so it's doing drugs in Miami and the police who are trying to stop the drugs from being sold and so on, and investigating a murder. 
within that there's the same action sequences there's car chases there's shootouts there's running but it has personality and the relationships and the characters keep you going through it because they're enjoyable to watch this film is doing a big story not quite as big as Armageddon, but it's doing a big thing. You know, the, the takeover of Alcatraz and threatening to kill millions of people with nerve gas and so on. And then it's doing an appropriate response to that. And those characters are not interesting to keep me going. That I don't feel like we get the best from either Nicolas Cage or Sean Connery. And mm. I don't feel like the relationship between them ever really goes anywhere. We don't have the same... Uh, in Bad Boys, there's a lot of banter. There's a lot of joking. There's a lot of... Uh, mistaken identity type stuff going on. Although you couldn't necessarily do the same things here, there's nothing like that. So okay. everything that I was expecting to enjoy about this, that, oh, this might be big and fun and silly, it has none of that. It Oh, it might have characters and witty banter and good dialogue. I don't feel it has any of that. And And the two stars who I quite enjoy when they do their own thing, I don't feel are allowed to do their own thing here. Sean Connery probably gets away best with it, but I don't, I'm not sure he's actually acting here. I think he is, by and large, playing himself. Um, Nicholas, <laughs> Nicholas Cage, I've got a feeling perhaps he doesn't play well with others when he's not the, the sort of main guy. Or, or huh. no, when there is another main guy alongside him. When I think of all the, the great performance he's done, the things that I enjoy, it's because he is allowed to do what he wants on screen. Even Face Off. He and John Travolta do not really share much screen time. It's him doing his thing, and then we switch to John Travolta, and he does his thing, and then we go back to Nick Cage, and he does his thing. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, because I don't, I don't get that at all from watching this. Mm. Um, I do. I kind of see what you mean about the film taking itself way too seriously. But the funny thing about that is, I was reading last night, and the actual script for the movie hmm. was very, very serious. It, it had very little humor in it. And so all of the lines that we got that were humorous and the, the funny scenes that were added in were essentially all ad-libbed. They weren't part of the script. Right. And for for you to not really pick up on any of that stuff and just only kind of see that it takes itself way too seriously is, is interesting to me because I laughed a lot in this movie. I thought it had some really great one-liners and... Um, I really enjoyed watching Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery on the screen together and how they were interacting because their characters were just so different. I thought it was quite nice. Okay. But that's just me. That's I, just I, me. I don't think I buy Nicolas Cage's character at all. Because um, he seems to be super genius chemical guy, but also quite good at doing the action guy stuff. Uh, it doesn't quite feel like it meshes or that it's believable. Um like I say, I think uh, the more I think on it, Sean Connery gets away with it the best. But even even he has been locked up for thirty years, but still has all his marbles and is still able to do the action guy stuff. Which, bravo, sir, that's exceptional. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean he's Sean Connery, of course mm. he can. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought that that Nicolas Cage's character kind of had a natural development for me, but I am also way more willing to like whistle past things than okay. you are than a lot of people are um because it did kind of seem like to me at the beginning he was i mean he was they showed us up front that he was really good under pressure because the first scene he was in was him disarming the the bomb with the nerve gas in their little chamber or whatever and so we get to see his geeky side but we also get to see him being really really good under pressure with this thing that he is really really good at mm -hmm. And then they throw him in the field and, like, I mean, he doesn't even have a gun and he has to kind of beg for a gun because they're like, why? You're the super – the chemical freak, you know? And and he doesn't really know how to use it. Like, he hesitates and, and he's not doing great until Sean Connery gets him to the Rockets and he knows he has one job to do and that is a job that he can do. Everything leading up to that, he was awkward and he was weird and he had to rely on Sean Connery to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. But once he was at that rocket, he was in his element and he knew what he needed to do. And then when he was done with that and they were shooting at him again, he immediately reverted back to this, like, geeky, awkward, nerdy guy who could not handle himself in a fight. Until we get closer to the end when he's been working side by side with Sean Connery for these, like, 30 hours or whatever. And he gets to shoot somebody. He he saves Sean Connery's character at one point and, and then... You know, I think my favorite scene that he does is when he fires the rocket at the guy. 
I really, really loved that. But I'm a strange bird, so maybe it's just me. Yeah, you mean the bit where he asked the guy, have you heard Elton John's Rocket Man? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think the film had lost me by that point because that was just me rolling my eyes. May- oh, and, and, okay. and maybe if we'd had more of that sooner, I would have gone, oh, hey, this is kind of silly. But, okay. But by that point, we'd had, you know, and, and when you have Michael Bean in a film, you are going to have some seriousness. You're going to have some, you know, oh, we've got to do this mission. Come on, guys. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, and, and like I said at the beginning, I, I also feel very cynical about this because it does so much about, mm-hmm. oh, we're in San Francisco, so let's show lots of the sights. Let's do the typical driving and leaping off the um, leaping off the hills and let's do going past trolleys. And it, it feels like it's a spreadsheet of a movie. If we spend these many millions, we'll make back these many millions. Well, it worked. Yeah. Just if if <laughs> I mean it didn't work for you, but no. it worked for the world. <laughs> um Mark Camo talks about this very, very well and he, he says if you're going to make a blockbuster, it's going to guarantee you X amount of films. Why not make a good one? But everyone's different. Love what you love and all that. <laughs> uh, there there was one bit, and I don't know why this is the only bit out of this whole movie that kind of dropped me out just a little bit. Um, but the the driver of the trolley survived. <laughs> like what? That trolley was thrown into the air. It crashed <laughs> down, exploded into a fireball, and then the trolley driver walks off of it and starts screaming about how his trolley has been destroyed. That's because he is the solution to the trolley problem. <laughs> uh, of course he is. Maybe we need to get. Um, V and Jason on here yeah. to talk about the, the trolley problem <laughs> and, and the good place. Um, so, yeah, I was expecting to like this more, but I think I, I'm, I found it hard because I can see other films that do this same stuff better. And I can see places where this film, it, it, not even the other things do it better, this film's doing it badly for, for me. Um, and maybe if mm-hmm. I'd come to it at a point where I wasn't watching it with so much of a critical eye or. I hadn't seen so much other films, so many other films. Um, right. It might have gone down better. Because I'm sure there's people shouting at the stereos being like, stereos? People use stereos? iPods. People are shouting at their iPods. <laughs> like, Matthew, Bad Boys is terrible. How can you like Bad Boys? And yeah, Bad Boys is terrible and misogynistic and stuff. It's still good fun. See, and I think I kind of feel that way about this movie. I mean, I don't think this movie is misogynistic. It had one slightly problematic line or two from Sean Connery but in general I mean okay this is not a great piece of cinematic writing but it's fun you know you get to watch people blow stuff up and you get to watch the bad guys lose and the good guys win and you get to watch Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage and those are all things that I really enjoy Mm. so while I'm never gonna say like honestly I don't understand why this movie was selected to to be a release in the Criterion Collection. Like, that <laughs> makes no sense to me. But I'm going to watch this movie and I'm going to enjoy it when I do. And because I think it's good fun. I mean, I don't think it's a great cinematic masterpiece. I just think it's fun. And you're going to include that fact in the beginning to try and shore up the thing that this is a great movie. Matthew, you should have liked it. Matthew, how dare you not like this film? <laughs> <laughs> I was just presenting facts about the movie. Sure, That's Jan. <laughs> Um, before we dive into whether or not there were any moments in this movie that you liked, because I'm not actually sure there were, I wanted to talk about something that I found that was really, really interesting and also kind of horrifying. There was a British intelligence officer who was giving his government intelligence on the war in Iraq, or I guess technically right before the war in Iraq started, on how Iraq supposedly had nerve weapons and these biological agents. And they found out a couple years later that all of his intelligence was made up mm-hmm. based on this movie. And that's horrifying to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't really know what to do with that, but when I read it, like it kind of blew my mind a little bit um although i did also 
read in a couple places that the writers were absolutely shocked that anybody would ever take the information in this movie and try to pass it off as real because they specifically made the the nerve gas and the way the nerve gas was designed and carried those little green spheres and the way they were <laughs> in that bead formation or whatever like that's bullshit like that's not a real thing and anybody who knows anything about how these agents work would have known immediately that that was not real and and so God, that's just I don't understand how something like that could happen and it blows my mind that somebody would use a movie like this and try to pass it off as actual military intelligence yeah it's one of those stories you hear in different fields isn't it people trying to get ahead people trying to um suit their own needs so using whatever they can to to fake something there is um you wonder though if if they hadn't done that if things would be different well <laughs> there is a whole debate about and certainly our inclusion in the war um and the, whether mm-hmm. we should have gone to war over the intelligence we had um, there is a movie, a, a slightly different thing. There's a movie called Shattered Glass, uh, which is about a chap called something Glass, I think, who wrote for a newspaper and just couldn't get a good story. So he started making stories up. Um, but he was making them up in such a way that he included errors that the fact checkers could find so that they wouldn't mm-hmm. spot the big fake things. Um, and eventually it all unravels because he writes about like, oh, it's like a video game competition or something. Um, and one of the other video game outlets or a video game outlet starts in, uh, inquiring into it because they're like why did we not write about this and then it all just comes down around him and that's that's based on a true story and it's exactly that kind of thing hmm. okay it's a good film um, the chap wrote for The New Republic okay interesting hmm. good. that actually sounds like a movie I would like hmm Maybe. It was good. I remember enjoying it at the cinema. Um, Hayden Christensen as the main guy. Oh, okay. Giving quite a good performance, which I didn't know he had in him. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, you know, I agree with you. It's shocking that people can do that. And I assume that's part of the reason we have so many mechanisms these days for fact-checking intelligence, which is why uh, sometimes a proper lead doesn't get taken as quickly or as far as it should have done. Yeah. Yeah. And why sometimes people can trigger a, an alert to be texted to you about a missile heading in for Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Although, you know, I'll be honest with you, I would rather be alerted that there was a missile that doesn't exist coming than not get alerted for a missile that does exist that's coming. Mm. But that's just me, you know? I, I saw a really good argument that the guy who did that should not lose his job over it because if anyone is never going to make that mistake again and going to get it right, it's that guy. <laughs> that is true. That is absolutely true. All right, Matthew. So were there any moments in this movie that you did like? Are there things that made you laugh, things that you appreciated, or was it just all cynical and bad to you? I, I quite liked his girlfriend, um, and I, I liked the scene they get, which absolutely baffled me. It, it, it sets up that she's going to be a big part of this film and have quite a bit of import because she gets a number of lines. Um, but no, that's basically her only scene. So it's basically her only scene with Nicolas Cage. But the fact mm-hmm. that she tells him she's pregnant, I like that revelation. It's very obvious because as soon as he makes a comment about it would be a crime to bring anyone into this world, it's like, oh, she's pregnant, is she? Um, but then for it to be a problem that they're not married so she proposes to him great more than I would expect from a Michael Bay film oh okay all right so I quite enjoyed her I quite enjoyed that I was baffled by their only other scene together where they're sleeping together and when it cuts to him he does something like hmm that's interesting hmm that's very compelling (laughs) yeah I didn't understand that that's not good pillow talk (laughs) No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, it was a weird scene anyway. Yeah. But I mean, just, yeah. And, and that's also some of my cynicism. Like, okay, we've got our sexy moment, have we? Okay. But we have to keep it kind of PG-15. So she's mostly covered up. It's just references to pigtails. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I quite liked in a 
so bad it's good is when he's talking about the chemical and he has a line that's something like, it's the type of thing we wish we could disinvent. I really like it for like giving us an idea of the scale of how bad this chemical is. But it's a really bad line. Mm -hmm. But I do quite like what it's doing. (laughs) Oh, I liked it. Yeah. But I like all the things you don't like, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. (laughs) I mean, it it was such a Nicolas Cage line, Mm. especially because it was following um, before he realized that this was actually um, a situation, like a real situation. And he was just excited to be there and to be a part of things. And they're asking him these questions. And he starts rambling on about how it was accidentally invented, just like champagne, because champagne was supposed to be white wine. But oops, they got bubbles and... You know, yeah, and and so he's. It followed, the, like it was the logical place for that to end up because all of a sudden he realizes, oh shit, this is serious. This stuff I shouldn't be joking, and this stuff is so bad that we wish we could disinvent it. And mm. and to me, that was just the perfect Nicolas Cage line, and so it really worked for me. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> um, it's just we we like it for different reasons. I think. That that's the scene where I can see that yes, Aaron Sorkin worked on this script because he rocks up, starts talking to John Spencer, and gives him his CV. <laughs> he just starts reading yes. his whole resume to him, <laughs> and that is such a West Wing thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a graduate of this place. I've done this. I've served in this job. Oh, blah 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 blah. <laughs> Very right, yeah. And of course, like that does lead us to uh, what I can only describe as Chekhov's green balls. Like, we see them so often, and we talk about how bad this chemical is so often that by the end, I'm like, will you just hit someone with a green ball? Just someone already. Well, he did. He shoved it down his throat. He finally gets to him. Like, Which was stop horrifying. Stop teasing me. <laughs> right. All right. Well. Yeah. I assume you have one or two more than I did. I have a few. I mean, okay. I've already mentioned a few. Just... Mm. I mean, I I am one of those people in the world who really, really likes Nicolas Cage. I haven't seen a lot of early Nicolas Cage. I know we've got movies like Raising Arizona on the list and stuff like that. But when I think of Nicolas Cage, I think of roles like this. I think of his, his delivery because he he delivers humor in such a deadpan way sometimes that it just really works for me. But he also, he William Shatner some things too. <laughs> and so, like, when you put those two things together, you just get this thing that is so uniquely Nick Cage that I really, really enjoy it. And he kind of plays the same character and all of the stuff that he did, mm. you know, from 96 until now. I mean, he was even in – they did a reboot of the Left Behind movie a couple years back. And I went to see it just because it had Nicolas Cage in it, and he did the same <laughs> thing in that movie. It was fantastic. You know, and so he gets lines like um, during that sex scene with with his girlfriend, you know, the phone rings and he knows it's work and his girlfriend is trying to get him to ignore it. And he's like, no, no, no. They know that I'm here. And she goes, how could they possibly know your home? And he just looks at her and goes, it's the FBI. Hmm. And I liked it. It was funny. It was so perfectly delivered by Nicolas Cage in that way that he does. In fact, I think all of my favorite moments are mostly from him. Um, when <laughs> when uh, right after basically all of the military dudes have been killed and it's just him and um, Sean Connery left. And the, the folks at command are trying to talk him through how to actually be a real field agent. And they're trying to get him to get the gun and to use the gun. And and Sean Connery steals the gun from him. And so his line is, he's got all the guns now, sir. Hmm. And it just, it made me laugh. I couldn't not laugh at that line. Because it was, again, such a Nicolas Cage line. And then he had a, a character trait that I really, really liked. The whole movie, he never swore. He said things like, gosh, and gee whiz, and freaking, and he just did not swear until the very, very end when he finally kind of manned up. And, um... <laughs> swearing is all manly and stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, okay, I liked then. it. I thought it, was, I thought it was an interesting character trait because it was just another way for them to kind of show us 
that he's different, that he's not an FBI field agent, that he's not used to this kind of action and this violence and this this gun fighting. You know, he doesn't do that. He sits in a lab and he, you know, disarms bombs in a controlled environment. He doesn't do this crazy, chaotic kind of war zone mm. stuff. And so I thought it was nice. It, it was kind of a nice way to give us inf- more information about him. Yeah, it's interesting. And it was really funny. I, I, I mean, it's really funny to hear G Wiz come out of Nicolas Cage's mouth. Yeah, I, I, I didn't notice him not swearing, but in the same way I noticed Sean Connery and John Spencer swearing. I was like, oh, okay. Just being a bit more adult. Okay. Yeah, well, I think they did that on purpose to show the difference. Mm. You know, you had everybody else swearing a lot. Right. And then you had Nicolas Cage not swearing at all. I, I um, And I think that was very intentional. Yeah, I picked up on him, the, the bit where he does go like, well, gosh. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's like the mayor. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I was actually going to say that, that there is that Twisted Sister song. I want to rock. The, it, it's all about students shouting that at a teacher and the, the stern bow tie wearing teacher is all shocked by it and stuff. Played by the chap who played the master. Oh, mm. okay. Mm. But reprising basically right. a role he plays in another film. Mm. Well, we're just getting all kinds of Buffy references that mm. actually have nothing to do with the rock in this episode. No, I'm happy to talk. I can talk about anything that's not the rock. Happy to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we start wrapping up, I do just want to, you know, shout out to our listeners who responded to our tweets um, with how they feel about The Rock. And I just want to run through some of these. Mm, Please do. (laughs) (laughs) Because I quite enjoyed these. Um, And, and, you know, it's I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong or anything, Matthew. I'm just trying to tell you that people enjoy things differently. That's all. All these people are trying to tell me that I'm wrong. (laughs) No, nobody in in this list says anything directly to you at all. (laughs) Okay. So our friend Sarah at Not Selling Alone on Twitter, she said, this is one of those movies that I love, but feel I probably shouldn't. It's a lot like junk food. This is the Taco Bell of movies. I can't say she's wrong. Uh, Jen at Generosity says, I have a fondness for this movie. I like the combo of Nick Cage and Sean Connery, and I think it winks at the audience just the right amount. Uh, Kate at Katie Sheru, I absolutely love that film, and I'm only slightly ashamed about it. The Rock, Con Air, Independence Day, Armageddon, and Face Off are my favorite not guilty pleasure films. Now, Independence Um, Day, yeah, Independence Day I enjoy. That's a good fun action film that, again, doesn't quite take itself too seriously in, in what I think is the right way. Um, and, okay. and just to throw out, Katie did tell me that I'm wrong because her reaction was three question mark, question mark, blocks. <laughs> oh. And then. Okay, maybe maybe uh, she did, but I didn't put it in here. Yeah, and then, and then she and Sarah fired like five or six Nicolas Cage gifts at me, just back and forth. Oh. <laughs> Well, you know, people were surprised because, I mean, but but I will say, though, that this, the common theme here is that people love this movie while understanding that they probably shouldn't because it's really not a great movie. I mean, like Sarah said, it's the Taco Bell of movies. Taco Bell is the place that you go at 3 a.m. when you're drunk, not the place that you go because you want a really good meal. Okay. You I- know, so I think we all agree that this is not Criterion Collection movie quality mm-hmm. but it's good fun i don't think I've, I've ever been to a taco bell oh my goodness you're missing out mm. i'm telling mm. does have some good stuff and, mm. and they've got these new nacho fries right now that are amazing that's all i'm gonna say okay <laughs> i mean you don't go to taco bell for fries but i would right now because they're really good i i like some good mexican but i wouldn't go to a taco bell taco bell is not mexican food okay taco bell is just taco bell <laughs> All right, we have a couple more comments. Can I, I can through. I just can I just talk about American fast food instead? <laughs> let's talk let's talk about In and Out. Now there's a restaurant. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. We don't have those here. No. They're we, only on the West Coast. Yeah, you don't have them outside of like California and Nevada and Texas and that's it. Correct. It's it's my reason to go to California. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Now, California. Let me tell you about California. <laughs> San Francisco's in California. It is. We, yeah, so let's I, circle I was, this back around to The Rock, which was in set in San Francisco. I was really surprised that car chase did not do anything on Lombard Street. I was sat there expecting it again, like, well, surely they're going to do something there. So maybe, maybe yeah, that's... just been too much. Well, maybe that's the argument that it wasn't funded by the city of San Francisco. <laughs> okay. Our friend Melissa at Step Into My Kitchen said, I have a deep and abiding love for this movie, and I am not ashamed to say it. It has its flaws, sure, but it's just great. Nick Cage, Sean Connery, John Spencer are all so great, I could watch it again right now. And lastly, Sam at Darkness Random said, it's one of my favorite dumb action movies from that time. Peak Cage, peak old Connery, and right before Bay went to Bay. <laughs> my Bay. <laughs> um, you see, and that's, oh, that's the one that stood out to me, because for me, Peak Cage is, is Snake Eyes. But that is him basically on his own for a lot of the film, getting to do the crazy thing that he does. In this, I, I don't think I've seen that one. I, I don't feel like he was allowed to really let rip, but that's because he was sharing so much screen time with someone else who was a very strong, dominating actor as well. Right. Mm. Okay, that's fair. Um, I, I think that everybody is allowed to love what they love and not love what they don't love. Yeah. And it's all just based on our own perspectives, and it's perfectly fine. That we loved it and you didn't. <laughs> like I say, I, I could I could see myself liking this had I seen it when I was in my teen years and it came out. Yeah. Yeah. I I think looking going into it now, looking at it with a critical eye does make it really hard to enjoy this movie. Mm. I can totally one hundred percent understand that, honestly. Um, but I did see this when I was a freshman in high school. You know, and and so I still have the nostalgia and the way that I felt watching it back then, because in 1996, this was a really fun movie. And, and you know, 14-year-old me was not looking at it critically. Okay. I was just watching it to laugh and to see things get blown up, which is very different than why we're watching movies now. So I, I totally get it, absolutely. And, you know, all snark aside... I totally understand your perspective. Um, it's just really fun to be snarky with you. So Thanks. On the flip side, the day after watching this, I watched the new Baywatch movie. I enjoyed that so much more. <laughs> Which is another rock movie. It is another rock movie, yeah. Which And that utterly doesn't take itself seriously whilst also taking itself utterly seriously. But Okay. Yeah. I have not seen it yet, but I want to. Mm, it's, it, it's worth it. It's very... Very weird and silly, but it would have to be to have Zach Efron and The Rock starring in something together. Mm. That's just a weird combination to me. Okay. All right. Well, Matthew, is there anything else that we need to discuss about The Rock? Oh, I should have saved my rock joke to the end, shouldn't I? Hey, man. Do you have a second? Rock I, joke? I, of course I do. Hey, Mandy. Where, hey, Matthew. Where do geologists sleep? I don't know, Matthew. Where do geologists sleep? On the bedrock. <laughs> Okay. <sighs> are these cracker jokes? Uh, like, uh, do they have like specific themes of cracker jokes? No, they they could you they just, could like, be randomly memorized. The, this was me just googling like <laughs> jokes about rocks. I was hoping for okay. some like jokes about heavy metal and rock and roll, but there aren't too many of them that I can find. Certainly none of, none of the quality of these geology jokes, frankly. You know, it's interesting, though, because, I again, one of the things I like to do when we're doing movies for the show is I like to look up those fun facts about The Rock or fun facts about whatever movie we just watched. And doing that for this, I managed to find one article. All of the other ones were trivia about rock and roll movies. Right. <laughs> so everything I got was either rock and roll or Dwayne Johnson and almost nothing about this movie on the Googles. It was weird. Yeah. Oh, well. So, Matthew, how is – this is not our first kind of experience with doing reverse PCD because we did do Doctor Who with you. Mm -hmm. But Doctor Who was very different than just doing a movie. So 
So how do you feel about kind of us reversing roles? Is this something that you enjoyed? Is this something you would want to do again? Or just kind of maybe once a year in March? How are you feeling? I really enjoyed it because it's meant I've had to do a lot less prep work for the podcast, which is a really (laughs) bad thing to say, I know. But normally, like, I watch the film again. I go and read all the IMDb trivia. I read all of the Wikipedia page. I look up other films like it. I look up what the director's done, what the cinematographer's done. I look up what awards it won. I look up maybe reviews or articles about it from the time. Like, I do, you know, a stack of research. So that I can come in right. forearmed with information about it to help the discussion go. I've not had to do that this time. Um, so it's been quite nice. It's basically been me thinking, why didn't I like it? And trying to get down to, to the arguments that I gave. Because I knew I couldn't just come on and say, well, you know, it just didn't appeal right. to me. That's, that, that does not make good radio. Um, right. So yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And, and like, obviously I am watching a lot of films I've not seen before at the moment. Um, so I'm quite enjoying that right. as well, but I'm learning a lot about what I want to watch through doing that. The problem we're going to have is finding films that I have not seen that you have. Yes. That's where <laughs> we're going to hit a bit of a stumbling block. Because um, I think well, but- this is the only film on the list of Matthew- films Matthew hasn't seen that Mandy says he should see. <laughs> so far that I'm aware of, yes. Yeah. Um, but maybe if we want to continue to explore this, maybe at some point we can have a guest on who is willing to do all of that legwork because they really love a movie that neither of us have seen. Hmm. Maybe so. That's a possibility at some point. Um, but I, I will say I like our standard premise of me watching all of these movies that I've never seen before just because I'm selfish and I like getting to watch all of these things that I've never seen before. Yeah, you don't have to go and do all the legwork. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Um, I do some. I know. Work, I know you do. Um, but um, I mean, not as much as. But I mean, else, it's but harder. <laughs> well, it's hard when you've never seen something before to kind of figure out what's important and 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 balancing experiencing something for the first time with experiencing it with a critical eye mm. is is challenging, as you know from both Doctor Who and The Rock. That it's a tightrope to walk. Mm. I think. Um, and, and I feel like some of the movies that I have really disliked that we've done on the show, had I watched them solely to experience them, I would have enjoyed them more than I did. Yeah, I think that's very true. Okay, I, I've got up my letterboxed uh, wish list, watch list. So anyone who's listening okay. to my Matthew Movies Mentions podcast, um, I'm trying to watch 365 films this year. So I'm, I'm putting together a list of films I want to watch as part of that. Um, I'm going to read out a couple, and if anyone wants to come and talk to us, they can come and talk to us. Uh, so we have uh, Ishtar, which I might have been goaded into adding to the list. Um, Vertigo, M, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Uh, I am halfway through 1941. That's a tough one. Uh, I got recommended to Paris is Burning, and that's definitely one on the list that I'm looking forward to. We've got Rent coming up. That's on this list. Barbarella. I've never seen Barbarella. I feel like I should. I feel like I don't want to admit that I'm going to be watching that film. But also I feel like it's the sort of film I should have seen at some point in my life. So so if I'm naming a film, or if you see a film on my watch list that you think, oh, that's a great film, that's amazing, I will go and talk to Matthew about it. Hit me up. Let us know. Wow. Okay. So should I tell you that I've never heard of any of those movies except for Rent and Barbarella? Oh, you've heard of Vertigo. Have I? The, Wait, is that Alfred Hitchcock? Yeah, the famous Hitchcock film. Which will be interesting because... Okay. Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, there's been a, a couple of films that I'm doing as part of this that I, I know the films really well through references. So, like, I watched uh, Citizen Kane for the first time. But I know Citizen Kane really well because everyone talks about it and I've seen so many clips and references to it. The, the, the reveal at the end of the movie, I know because it's the reveal at the end of an episode of Columbo that I watched as a boy once. <laughs> and they say, oh, isn't this the same as, as Citizen Kane? Oh, yes, it is. So, yeah, but there is still worth in watching it done originally and, and taking it in that uh, that manner. Okay. Mm. Well, now that you've seen it, we probably can actually do it for the, for this show at some point because I've never seen it, even though I know the reveal at the end. Yeah. I don't know anything else about that movie except for the reveal at the end. Yes, I would like to do it. I don't think you're going to like it, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> In this, okay. in the same way, I'm wary of doing 2001 with you. 2001 is easily my favourite film of all time, and 
pretty much the greatest film of all time. I think you're going to hate it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so no pressure there. I thought Superman was your favorite film of all time. Oh, it's one off. Easily, you know, the one of, Superman, okay. Okay. Su- Superman, Godfather, The Matrix. There are amazing films that I love deeply. 2001 isn't even on that list. It's so far ahead of everything else. <laughs> okay. Well, if you would like to join our conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. We are 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. So anything you can give gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and develop new shows. If you want to find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And if you want to keep up to date with the latest news and announcements, remember to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. The link is on eloquentgushing.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about the musical Rent with Catherine Kay. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And if you're going to be insubordinate, I appreciate it if you do it with a little more respect. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.